Well, uh, I know what you're thinking. Where have you been? And I've been thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> Three weeks ago, uh, I woke up. Uh, it was a it's a Monday morning. I was running about 103 and six tenths, uh, and hurting all over. And apparently, the doctor said, "Well, you have the flu." Now, I haven't had the flu. I've been so blessed. I've really been healthy outside of maybe a sinus infection once or twice a year. I've just been as healthy as can be since I was a little kid. Never been to the doctor. So I go, and they put me on a thing called Tamiflu. You guys heard Tamiflu? And so I started taking Tamiflu. I'm about my third day into it, and I wake up about 2.30 in the morning, and uh, I really, honestly, not exaggerating, thought this could be the end. Uh, I'm shortness of breath. I was having hallucinations. I about passed out on the floor. I woke my wife up, and I said, you may have to take me to the emergency room. Something's going on. This is not good. This is not normal. So they, uh, the doctor thinks that I had a reaction to Tamiflu. Now, I've never had a, a reaction to any medicine ever penicillin, codeine, you name it. I developed a double pink eye, and I also had ear infections in both ears. So I went from bad to worse, and because I stopped taking the Tamiflu, I got the symptoms back, which was great, because that's all it does is lessen the symptoms. So then I have been to the doctor two times since then, uh, trying to deal with some congestion and sinus stuff, and they've given me two rounds of antibiotics. I had the steroid shot in the old derriere there, regular steroids, enough that I could turn into Schwarzenegger overnight, and I still am struggling. So I'm going to have to go to a specialist, an ear, nose, and throat specialist, and uh, as we have our invitation time here in a little bit, if you feel that you have absolutely nothing to do, I could always use the prayer. I mean, I know there'll be other decisions that maybe need to be made. We'll have other people here, but you can just come down and feel free to pray with me because I have had a tough, tough three weeks. Now, I appreciate your prayers. I missed three Christmas parties. You know how that goes. I hated, hated that. Missed a week worth of work, and it just so happened to be this was my first Christmas that I was spending without my father, and I spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day alone. But I had a lot of time to listen, to think, to pray, to read. You know, you never understand why certain things happen, why they go the way they go, but maybe the Lord is just trying to get my attention. He was trying to teach me something, and yeah, I just had to listen. So I think I got a, a message this morning. It's going to be a Christmas message. I know, it's after Christmas. I get it. But if they're putting up Valentine's Day stuff, we're just getting a bit out of hand here, right? We're, we're, we're a long ways away from that. We, we're only a couple days beyond Christmas, and I didn't get to, to, to do my Christmas message. So if you have your Bibles open, if you would, or your, your phones, uh, if you'd open to Matthew 1, 18 through 24, and I just want to take a little bit of time, and I want to read the Christmas story out loud, take it in, and just listen to, to what Matthew has to say. So beginning in verse 18, it says this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The greatest story ever written, greatest story ever told. I've entitled this message, The One and Only Christmas Story. Now, I want to start out first getting some preconceived notions of Christmas out of the way. Uh, How many of you you saw a nativity scene either in a driveway, in your own home, you put one up over the last two weeks. Just raise your hand, a nativity scene. Okay, several of you. So I think that the story has kind of gotten uh, convoluted, confused. Um, We get a lot from our media, we get a lot from our songs, but very rarely do we go back and just read the words and figure out what does it actually say in there. Well, Uh, I started just wondering why we celebrated on December 25th, where do we get those uh, traditions from, and I was just reading, and in my reading I came across a couple interesting things, I hope you find them interesting. Number one is that Emperor Constantine, who was a Christian emperor of Rome, gave his heart to Christ, celebrated Christmas in 336 AD. Before that time, there was a worship of a pagan god of the sun, Mithra, and that holiday was then changed to worshiping the son of God. Now, this is not uncommon. A lot of our holidays that we celebrate in the United States, around the world, they used to be uh, a pagan form of worship, and then, of course, when the Catholics took over and became a power, they changed it, and they changed it to a Christian holiday. Uh, which I'm glad that they did. So Christmas really and truly came from the Catholics. And I know, we don't want to give them credit, but we're going to have to this morning, okay? So it used to be called Christ Mass, which was a service that they would hold after sunset and before sunrise. And of course, if you put those two words together, Christ Mass, then we have Christmas. And by the way, Uh, No, it is not the uh, official birth date of Jesus, although I'm glad that we actually set aside a day to celebrate it. Now, coming to the birth preconceived notions, Um, well, you know how you always have the three wise men, right? And there's only three. There's only three, I think, because when we read about the gifts, there was only three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they're just automatically, they just throw in just three guys. But we don't know exactly how many of them that there were. 
and they were not there at the birth of Jesus. The shepherds were, but uh, the wise men came much later. In fact, Jesus was older, uh, probably living in a house uh, with his family th- uh, there in Bethlehem at the time. So, no, it's, it's you know, again, my wife, she kind of laughs at me, but when we set out our nativity scene, we put the shepherds out and, you know, we put the figurines. And then I put the wise men farther off because I said they're traveling there. They're not there yet, right? Because we want a theologically correct uh, nativity scene at our house. I know, it's ridiculous, but that's just me, right? So, by the way, we also see in so many paintings and so many pictures, we see the big star, right? Giant star. And... Uh, the star was what the wise men were following, not the shepherds. When you go back and you read the scriptures, the, the sign for the shepherds was you're going to find a babe uh, in a manger, you know, in swaddling clothes. That was the sign. They said go, and apparently, the, you know, the Spirit was leading them. They were not led by a star, but the wise men were. Uh, I also read an interesting article this week about the word that they use for inn. Uh, you know, they said there was no room there at the inn. Uh, and this guy builds a very, very compelling argument, not that it, that it matters, but just food for thought, that um, it, you know, it's not like that there was a, a holiday inn there, and he, they're trying to check in to some hotel, and of course that there was no room. Uh, they believe that Joseph had extended family there and that maybe there was just not a particular room for them. There would have been a large family room in all of those homes, um, and because there was not a private bedroom that perhaps um, there was this family room and they said, okay, this is all that we have. You may end up having to have the child in this large family room. Or they did have rooms outside or adjacent to it that sometimes would house animals. Um, What that kind of brings me to my next two point. Number one, uh, mangers um, weren't just necessarily always troughs in the fact that we think of something that an animal would eat out of or we would put it in there, but that sometimes there were mangers that were inside of homes and I often thought about these animals that were present in the story because if you put out the nativity scene, you know, you, um, you think about, you know, all of the songs that we sing about the shepherds and they were bringing their sheep and the cattle are lowing and they make it sort of seem like Jesus was born in a barn full of animals. Well, I want to just maybe pose this to you and, and, and a thought of it. You know, animals aren't necessarily always the cleanest. And when you're having a birth, you really want to be as clean as you possibly can. I mean, even they understood that back then. So I think it could be highly likely that because there are no animals necessarily present in the text at the time, that they probably cleaned up that room, they probably didn't have the animals in there, and that there was probably as much sanitary conditions as possible. Now, I, I don't have um, obviously any proof of that, but there's obviously no proof that there was tons of animals in the room either. But I want to I look today, and in your notes there that you have this morning, which, uh, by the way, there was nobody working this week, so they, they called me Sunday evening, last Sunday evening, and they said, we have to have your notes by Monday morning if they're going to be in the bulletin. Said, okay, there's no time like the present. 
So <clears throat> I want to talk about the prophecies that were fulfilled just in this passage alone, in this story, and how remarkable it is that all of them were fulfilled in the way that they were fulfilled. So the first one I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the prophecy of the virgin birth. In Isaiah 7:14, it says this, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call Him Emmanuel. Now, from what I can tell, somewhere this prophecy was made somewhere in the time frame of 701 to 681 B.C., before Christ. 700 years prior to the coming of the Savior. That's remarkable. I don't know if you find that remarkable. I find that remarkable. I mean, can you imagine me uh, or anybody today standing up there and saying, here's what's going to happen 700 years from now? I mean, the United States isn't even that old. Uh, you, you, we can't fathom all the things that could take place between then and then, of course, the time when he actually came. So, I, as I was thinking about this, I really want to focus on, it was a step of faith for Joseph. And I've been thinking a lot about Joseph. I know that he's maybe not talked about as much um, at, when we talk about the Christmas story. I went to a megachurch one time, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, Prestonwood Baptist Church. You guys know Prestonwood, right? And I happened to go to uh, a Sunday school class there in the morning before the service, and this guy gets up there, and he's going to lead the class, and he begins to tell, I guess it's his testimony, I, I guess that's what it would be. Um, nobody knew him, nobody knew him in the entire room. And I'm kind of looking around at the other people, and he's kind of introducing himself, and so he begins to tell this story. And he talks about how he fell in love with this girl that was in the area, and how they um, had courted a long time, uh, and how their relationship began to be fulfilled and grow, and how he was madly in love with her and they're going to get married, or they were, and how excited he was about that. Um, they, they had even uh, registered at these different places, and they had begun to receive some gifts, uh, and they were having, you know, celebrations. And then one day, he gets a phone call, and the words out of her mouth, he knew something was wrong. And she just simply said this, we need to talk. Now, guys, you know, that is never good. Never good. So he gets in his vehicle, and he drives over to the apartment, and she opens the door, sad countenance on the face. He sits down on the sofa, and she's about to prepare him for what is going to come next. And she says, well, I'm pregnant. Now, I think it would be important at this time to tell you that he had been saving himself for her marriage, that they had not come together. And so, as you can imagine, the devastation that he felt in that moment, a betrayal, 
what was going to come next? What would happen? What would be the future? Now, it was at this point in time in the story that maybe just like you, he had my attention. I was like, are you married now? Uh, I see a ring that's on your finger. Like, what's going on? Like, tell us. And he goes, well, he goes, in reality, he goes, uh, none of that is actually true. But he said, isn't that the way that Joseph would have felt? I mean, I try to put myself in his shoes and try to imagine that conversation. I know the angel that appeared to him, but you know, the fact that in that culture, um, to have a wife who you know that you had not been with, who had come with a child, and then the story that you have to tell people is that, well, that child is conceived by the Holy Spirit and is going to save the people from their sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, I imagine that there may have been some doubters. You know, I mean, I've had lots of girls in the public education system that have become pregnant, come up to me, and they said, I didn't know how this happened. I said, you're not the Virgin Mary, right? Okay. So, this is something that, you know, I have, it's, I don't know, I've just, I've really been, been thinking about how difficult it must have been, especially in that culture, what he could have done, uh, what the law would have allowed him to do in that particular circumstance, but the understanding. I also found it very interesting, and I think that maybe as we get into these other prophecies, is, uh, is the fact that it always is referred, Jesus is referred to in the Scriptures as Mary's son, but you never see that from Joseph. It's not Joseph's son. God the Father was the Father. Um, and so, then you go into, you know, those that raise children that uh, are not theirs. They must love them. They must nurture them. Um, and then, of course, we don't really know a whole lot about what, what actually happened to him, but apparently, obviously, um, he had passed away. We don't know what circumstances, but, uh, and then, of course, you know, Jesus took that, that role uh, in the family of, of being the, the leader. So, the second prophecy I want to look at is the prophecy of the town of Bethlehem. I didn't get to go to Bethlehem when I was in Israel uh, several years ago. Uh, apparently, um, it was uh, a little dangerous. There was some terrorist activity that had gone on there. Um, uh, there were some uh, definitely Muslim sects, there's stuff that was going on. They said, it's, it's not safe, you can't visit it. I so desperately wanted to visit that place. But I look at it, and uh, I don't know if you know what Bethlehem means or not, but Bethlehem means the house of bread. And what did Jesus say? He is the bread of life. Uh, in Micah 5.2, it says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Hmm. Bethlehem. We knew that that city was going to be significant. Now, we believe that this prophecy was made somewhere around 750 to 686 B.C., Again, 750 years before Christ comes onto the scene. Uh, 
Now, <clears throat> Bethlehem, uh, even though it was his birthplace, if you look at the Scriptures, if the Pharisees had known the Scriptures, if the Pharisees had read the Scriptures, they would have known that Jesus would have fulfilled all of these prophecies that we're reading now. But what do they typically call him? They call him Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, you know Nazareth, the town. They said nothing good can possibly come out of Nazareth. Well, uh, he, you know, he gets that stigma from being from that town, but in reality it was Bethlehem from where he was from. And then as I was traveling around in Israel, uh, there is a, a town called Capernaum, and there's a sign above that as you enter Capernaum, and it says, uh, basically, it's the hometown of Jesus. And so, it's where he spent a lot of his time. Uh, they have uh, the house of Peter there. There's a big oval uh, stone where there was like multiple rooms, an inside room, an outside room, and they would just continually build out for the more people that you had. And they said, as we looked at it, they said, Jesus probably slept here multiple times. He stayed with Peter. It was also interesting just to realize that when you read the Scriptures, until you've actually like been there and you've seen it, how different it is. Like, for example, they were talking about Jesus and Peter, and they said that they, you know, they walked to the synagogue. Okay? Uh, well, they walked to the synagogue. He read the passage from Isaiah and you think, how far was that? Well, let me show you how far it was. Okay, I'm here. That's literally how far it was. I mean, the synagogue is literally right there, and, and it couldn't have been any more than, you know, 18 feet uh, from, from where the synagogue was. So, yes, he came from Bethlehem. Yes, he was the bread of life. And then we get into the third prophecy the prophecy that somebody was going to come from the tribe of Judah. Well, I went back and I read the story about um, Jacob. And uh, Jacob's prophecy uh, as he was prophesying over all of his different children. And he calls Judah and he, of course, lays hands on Judah. And what does he say? He says, your father's sons will bow down to you. Wow, that's significant. I wonder if he thought about what that truly meant, if he knew that in his lineage, who would come uh, and, and what actually that actually meant. Well, in Genesis 49, verse 10, it says, "...the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs." And the obedience of the nations is His. Somewhere, I believe that that prophecy occurred around 1400 B.C. 1400 years before Christ comes onto the scene. Well, you know what the symbol is for Judah, right? What's the symbol for Judah? The light, right? And so, I began to think about the lion and, you know, how he's the, the king of the animals, the king of the jungle. But I also, you know me, I, I love movies, I love uh, books. Um, I'm always, as I'm reading things, I'm always seeing that uh, 
it's kind of like the Apostle Paul. He talks about reading all of these um, pagan authors, he, you know, and he says that there is something that's coming through in this pagan material that points to Christ. Well, how many of you guys have seen The Lion King? Anybody? Lion King? A couple of you. Okay. I believe if you go back and you watch that, there's a lot of biblical implications just inside The Lion King. Um, and you look at uh, the prophecy that was made and how, you know, this is going to be the king of all kings. Uh, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's the, the Chronicles of Narnia, and you get the image of Aslan, the great lion, I'll never forget in my private school, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade, our, our teachers uh, read to us C.S. Lewis every single day when we came back from lunch and recess, and they read us all seven books, and I began to see the picture of Aslan, this, that he was Jesus, that he gave his life, that he, he rose again, and of course, all the things that I was reading and studying um, at my church and in and, and Awanas and all the other things, it, it just began to give me such a picture um, of what it would look like, the strength, the power, uh, the majesty um, that that he has, that Jesus has. I also, um, there is the fourth prophecy we look at, and speaking with, about King still, that there is the prophecy of the lineage of King David. Now, I found this to be interesting in my study. Um, by the way, uh, in the Bible, there are more pages about Jesus than any other person. Thank goodness, <laughs> right? He, he winds up number one. Do you know who winds up number two? David. David has the second most pages about him in the Scriptures, uh, obviously, other than, than Jesus, who is number one. Well, in Jeremiah 23, 5, it says this, "...the days are coming," declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Do you look forward to those days? I look forward to those days. Somewhere that prophecy was made around 626 to 586 B.C. Now, I look at David, and I think there's some similarities here between King David and, of course, King Jesus. Number one, we talk about there's, King David was just kind of this no-name runt, right? Uh, they were looking for this king. He was looking at all the brothers. They paraded one after the other after the other. No king was found suitable. They said, do you have any other sons? Well, yes, I do, but he's just a shepherd, that's all he is. A little runt of a boy, he's out in the field. Call him in. They call him in. This is the king. Well, would you have expected the king of kings and the lord of lords to have such a humble and meager birth in the way that he did? I mean, obviously, he deserved so much more, but yet this is the way that he chose to come. He was he was very much sort of under the radar, if you would. And then I look at it that David was very much a, a persecuted king. 
He was persecuted by Saul. In fact, Saul tried to kill him on multiple occasions, threw the spear at him. He was uh, betrayed by his own son who tried to take the throne from him. Well, if I'm not mistaken, would it be safe to say that Jesus was also a persecuted king? I mean, they gave him the most miserable death a human could ever endure. Well, he was, David was very much an exalted servant. If you look at the way that he served Saul, the way that he played his instruments to calm the spirit down, if you look at the way that he he was so humble and that he knew what his destiny was going to be, but he did not flaunt that. Um, maybe the people chanted um, about David slaying his tens of thousands, but he didn't rub it in people's face. He was humble, and he did give God the credit um, for all of those great victories. Well, would it be safe to assume that Jesus is also a very much exalted servant? And you look at that room right before he goes to the cross and he's washing the disciples' feet and he's talking to Peter and he's talking about, listen, it's all about servitude. Well, last but not least, we come to prophecy number five. I call this the all-encompassing birth prophecy. It's one of my, one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I look at what's going on in the world today. We haven't seen each other in three weeks. A lot has happened in three weeks. But I, this verse just hit me like a ton of bricks. The government will be on his shoulders. Of the peace, there will be no end. That justice will one day reign supreme. You know, <clears throat> they can't impeach Jesus. There will be no rumors of Russian collusion the only collusion that there'll be is that he colluded with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, I cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait for that time. I can't wait to see what all these people that are so-called world leaders on that stage, what they have to say. Because I've read in the Scriptures and it says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, there's no peace today. I know that we all would like there to be peace on earth. 
but when you've got people in North Korea that uh, obviously want to send nukes here for, as our Christmas gift, when you have everything that's going on in our government with our president, and we've got an election coming up this year, when you have uh, such a polarization and such a divide, um, I, I believe in my heart of hearts that never, never has there been a greater division in this country than there is today, right now. And I'm not just talking about political parties. In fact, uh, it just seems like in our culture that instead of it being about righteousness and about peace and about holiness, we are embracing, yea, promoting sin. Uh, As you know, I am a huge, massive Star Wars fan. Okay, I know. I'm a pagan. But I've been a fan since I was a little kid. But I want to clarify maybe why I even liked the movies to begin with. Well, see, to me it was very simple. It was good versus evil, and good wins. And even though there is no force per se, Jesus is the all-encompassing force in our lives. And he reigns supreme. Well, I went to go see the new film. There's a new film that's out, yes, uh, episode 9. And I watched the whole film, and of course, there's a lot of things going on. And we get to the end scene, and they're celebrating this great victory. Spoiler alert, by the way. And then there are these two girls, and then they kiss on the screen. Because every time we turn on the television now, every time we go see a movie, it just can't be about movie and enjoyment, and it can't be about just spending some time with family. It now has to be a political agenda across the board. We've got to, we've got to push homosexuality. We've got to push racism. We've got to push whatever it is. We're going to bombard you with it. And we've gotten so far away that I I just know that we're going to see a progression farther and farther down the road where we're just descending into what the, the Roman Empire clearly did, and that is just no morality whatsoever of any kind, anywhere, any place. God help us. Well, I am reminded from this verse. It's going to get worse, but here's what's going to happen. Christ is going to call us out of here. Amen? Amen. We're going to spend some time with Him. We're going to come back. There's going to be a remnant because Israel will be overrun. They will be fleeing. We will rescue that remnant with the power of, of Jesus at our sign. And there will be a throne, a throne in the holy city. And there will be the God-man who will ascend that throne. And they will put on the crown and he will have that scepter. And he will reign supreme for a thousand years. And this world is going to change. There's great hope, great hope.
Well, I leave you with this question this morning. Who is your king? You know, in the Old Testament, they, the Israelites begged and begged and begged for a king. They wanted a king. They wanted a leader. He said, no, that's a bad idea. Remember the prophets were telling them, if you end up having a king, your sons and your daughters will become slaves. You will not own your property. All these terrible things are going to happen, but if that's what you really want, I'm going to give it to you. Well, I am afraid that in all of the countries around the world today, God has given us what we've asked for, a worldly king. But in Reda Baptist Church and other churches all over the world, we're looking for the heavenly king of kings. That's who we're waiting on. We know that everybody here, the reign is temporary, but that He will reign forever. Would you uh, stand with me? Uh, our musicians, singers going to come forward. We're going to have our time of invitation. Whatever it is uh, that you need to do business with the Lord today, our altars are going to be open. I really would like for some of you to come down and just pray with me. I could use the prayer. Um, I still can't hear out of my left ear, still not feeling all that well. But uh, I do appreciate very much and have felt your prayers. I don't know what God has got in store, but I know this. Um, in the end, He brings true healing. Would you bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for Reda Baptist Church. I thank you for those people that came here this morning. Lord, it's not lost on me. I'm sure that they have had a busy Christmas. They had family in. They had tons of things to do. But they set aside a time to come and to worship you. And Lord, for that, I am very grateful. Lord, I pray that each and every person here that this morning, that they do serve the King of Kings. And Lord, if if it's a worldly king that they have served, if it's, if it's not, I pray, Father, that they would just, the Holy Spirit would fall on this place, would convict them, that they would come forward, they would take a hand of one of our staff members, one of our prayer warriors, and that they would just uh, turn their life over to you. Because I know, Father, I know for a fact, the world leaves us empty, but you fulfill us. Lord, I thank you so much for what you have done and what you are doing. I pray, Lord, for this church in 2020 as we move forward. I pray a hedge of protection over our staff. I pray over our finances. I pray over our building. I pray over our children and our youth, our elderly. I pray, Lord, for those that have lost loved ones. Lord, it seems like that this church, just in the last couple months, has just been devastated. You have taken some amazing people of faith to be home with you. And, and that's really their gain, but it is our loss, and we truly miss them. I pray, Lord, that there would be a peace and a comfort that would come over them in the days to come. And I ask these things in your holy and blessed and matchless name. Amen.